Welcome to the Give This Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Island Program, which Forbes has stated helps entrepreneurs become professional speakers. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Jeremy Wickham. He is a cybersecurity executive, advisor, and published author. Jeremy, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So I'll just dive in because we talked about how you wrote a book and you're like, oh my gosh, so many things have changed in five years. And I'm thinking some things never change and a lot of people are scared of change. But talk to us about in the cybersecurity world, how many things have changed. I don't know. I'm not a cybersecurity guy. So talk to us about, and you just said, you're like, yeah, a lot of things have changed. I'm like, oh, really? Well, tell us what has changed in the last five years with cybersecurity. In short, absolutely everything. Um, so in the last five years, the language of the internet has changed completely. The centralized control point of what you would do to secure information has changed completely. And the way everyone interacts with data at their workplace, which information security is all about protecting data, has changed completely. And a lot of people don't understand it. But when you use an application, that information isn't going to your corporate data center. It's going to someone else's data center that's shared between lots of different corporations in the, in the cloud. And because of the difference of how information flows and where it's going to and who controls those destinations, everything has changed in terms of how you, how you secure those flows. One of the things I like to tell people about how fast technology changes. So in 2003-ish, 2003, I think, I was deployed to Iraq. And when I was deployed to Iraq, I brought a bunch of CDs and a Walkman with me. And when I came back, you know, 12, 14 months later, um, everyone was walking around with this strange device that had every piece of music they could ever want on it, and it fit in their pocket, right? So the iPod was invented while I was gone, and the entire world changed in terms of how you consume music. But that was in a year and some change, right? And we see those types of changes that we don't think about happening every year. And when you add all those things together, and then you're challenged to secure all of the information that matters to an organization, whether that be yours and my personal information or financial information or credit card numbers, or even my intellectual property, and you try and replicate all of those small changes or that seem like small changes at the scale of an enterprise of 100,000 plus people, the pace of change is absolutely mind blowing. So let's unpack some of that. I must say you'd be great in a movie <laughs> because movies have to pull them in with fear or some element of, uh, oh my gosh, and you have that. And I'm obviously being honest about it, but first, when you said everything has changed, let's first talk about, well, how was it 20 years ago in terms of how people had their data, managed data, and now and literally what is like, essentially what you're saying is anytime you press on any app, anytime, as soon as you give up and allow your information, you're pretty much you're open to cyber thieves or whatever but, but first before we say that let's talk about again what how, how did it used to be like let's say 20 years ago how would people secure their data so 20 years ago um you know you have to remember just how different the world was so 20 years ago pretty much everybody sat in an office um very few people were issued laptops and even the ones that did couldn't access any corporate applications without going through a VPN. So their traffic was going basically to the exact same network as it would be if I was sitting in that, in that data center. So all of the information stayed within the four walls of a physical location. And there was one 
access point out of that physical location to the wider internet, which was literally, still literally right? What, what, literally, yes, when, literally. Yeah. And, and there was basically a stack of hardware appliances that every signal would run through that would provide your security stack. And that perimeter was built around that physical location. And basically the idea was everything that's inside it belongs to us and everything outside of it, we're not gonna trust whatsoever. So if you need to go out to the internet, we're gonna put all kinds of filters to make sure nothing bad comes back in through our walls with you and nothing good from inside our walls leaves out of that destination. The modern world would not operate in that construct. Wow. Now, how does anyone even wrap their minds around how do you, like, so it's like, you're a business guy, you're an executive, so a company can hire you to offer your services. Now, let's say entrepreneurs or employees, how do we even deal with this on a day-to-day -day level? Because you have great job security, Jeremy, because no matter what happens, people always need you. So I'm just curious, how can we help and, 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 and um, protect ourselves? Well, it's, it's a, a multifaceted solution. So the, the first thing to understand is information security to me is rises to the level of national security and even protecting a way of life that extends beyond our borders, right? A lot of the underpinnings of our society depend on the exclusivity of information. The idea that, you know, a person's potential is only limited by their ability to come up with ideas requires that they're able to keep those ideas, you know, protected to some extent. And that's why a lot of the foundation and the fabric of our way of life is intellectual property law, right? But there was a time where that was enough. But now when we talk about the fact that information is flying all over the world, people don't really know where their information is going and it can be replicated and it's not a physical thing where you actually have to steal it. You can just make a copy and no one would ever know. We're, we're starting to see, you know, the, the very underpinning of how we live our life start to become under threat with some of these massive data breaches we're finding. If, if all the information about you is taken and think about all the things you can do online without ever presenting your face or your identification, yeah, yeah, yeah. then someone can pretend to be you. And then if your very identity is compromised, then what does that do to our social fabric or the way that we operate our credit markets or those kinds of things, right? And then if, if we're talking about intellectual property, if someone has the plans that we have or the secret recipes that we have, or what have you, then how do we continue to profit from our ideas? And do the thieves have the ability to make the same products for cheaper, which is what we're seeing around the world. And China gets called out for this all the time, but it happens all over the world. So when we talk about how do you protect yourself, the first thing to understand is just how valuable your information is. Most people don't have an appreciation for that, right? Most people very haphazardly throw their data everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. Give me your email address, so you can sign up for this. Now take this quiz, right? Where yeah. were you born and where did yeah, you grow yeah, up? And what was yeah. the make and model of your first car? And by the way, now that I have your email address, I can say I forgot my password. And it's gonna ask me one of those questions that I just asked you on that stupid Facebook survey you filled out. Yeah, and now yeah. I can reset your password and steal your identity, right? So those types of things, people wouldn't do that with their wallet, right? Yeah. You wouldn't give your wallet to a stranger, walk away and come back the next day, right? but people do that with their information and it can be just as damaging. No, that's a great point because I remember years ago, well, it's also a generational thing too, because now everyone's sharing stuff, but I remember just to, just to kind of test it, I put in an email that I don't use. I Googled it and it came up with a speech I gave like 18 years ago. So mm -hmm. whatever we do, it's all online. So that being said, I mean, you bring up some very, very, very important issues, but Jeremy, 
how do we actually realistically, so first of all, okay, yes, recognize how important your information is, whether your email, your phone number, but then can you even live in a 2020 plus world if we don't go on some of these apps because some of the apps are so useful, but I know every single time they say, you give permission to give us your contacts, your media, your photos, and you know what I mean? Like, so how do we realistically deal with all that stuff? So every time you use an application, you're signing a contract. And every time you would sign a contract in the physical world, you would think about what's the reputation of this company I'm doing business with and what am I actually signing away? You have to do that with the information. It doesn't mean you're not going to use the app. It doesn't mean that the contract isn't worth it to you, but you should understand what you're giving in exchange for the service that you're receiving and what that really means. And then the other piece of the equation is whether you're looking at what European Union did with GDPR, what California did with CCPA, there's a realization that governments have to step in and help us. And then you mentioned the fact that the average age of our Congress people and senators and their tech savvy, that it's a scary proposition, but what the European Union did was they established a commission to study what they should do about all of this. And then they asked a bunch of experts to advise them and that we could do something similar at the federal level in the United States. The idea is we need to be able to regulate this marketplace because right now people are being hurt um, to the tune of just some, some numbers, right? Just some things to think about the scale of this, right? Every individual on the planet generates 1.7 megabytes of data a second, right? And that's not data you're typing into your computer. It's the things you wear, your phone, your location, all the things that you've given people permission to collect on you is all creating this explosive amount of data. Most people never use the data that's created. Very little of it is used. Uh, even less of it is controlled, right? So think about that. And then just think about the cybercrime economy, $1.5 trillion in 2017. If it was a country, it would have made it the 13th largest economy in the world, right? So you look at the very real damage, obviously, to make that much money from stealing things, it's coming from somewhere, right? Somebody's losing um, out on some economic benefit that they would have had or their identity or what one, one trillion plus dollars every year. Yes. Wow, yeah. that's, that's phenomenal. Well, Jeremy, Thanks so much for sharing your deep insights and very fascinating perspective. How can our guests stay in touch with you? Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, start a conversation. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff or anything else. I'm a complete nerd. So feel free to connect with me, talk to me, whatever you want. I'm here. Awesome. Jeremy, thanks again for being on our podcast. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Gifters podcast. If you want to turn your story into a successful speaking or coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com for details.